The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on another brilliant guest, and this is Daniel Capadia, aka DDK. He is big in the world of esports. He's a commentator, a gamer, and we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff today. So, welcome to the show, Daniel. How you doing? Thanks for doing doing well. Uh, didn't expect this to happen. Obviously, set it up just yesterday, but uh, really happy to be able to have a conversation with you. I think it should be a lot of fun. Awesome, man. So, Daniel, for people who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, British living in the States. I have been in the esports industry before, I suppose you'd even call it esports, essentially competitive video gaming for maybe 20 plus years. And it kind of saved my life in many respects when I was very young and became my passion. I found a lot of meaning through it. And so I've stuck, stuck with the industry and I've done a lot, worn a lot of hats. Um, for 10 years, I was broadcast talent, and I recently, within the last year, changed my role. And now I'm the general manager for a professional team uh, with one of the biggest brands in uh, North America called 100 Thieves. And I run one of their esports programs, so their Valorant program, which Valorant is one of the, it's one of, uh, the newer esports, but it's, it's quickly becoming the biggest in the world. And uh, so you can kind of think of it. If you've seen Moneyball, um, I'm basically doing the role that Brad Pitt did in that movie. Um, the general manager is responsible for essentially making sure that the program is successful on the long term. So the team is winning and you'll get you know, a budget allocated and you get to do with it as you as you will. Awesome, man. Well, I'm sure some of my listeners are going to be confused by the term esports. Some people will know what that is. Other people are going to be like, what's he even talking about? So explain what esports is to those who are not familiar. Okay, yeah. <laughs> esports is basically just the term we use for competitive video games. So it's like um, if, if you think of, let's say, in a tr- we, it's funny because we have a term in esports called traditional sports, which you don't use in traditional sports because it's <laughs> sports, right? You know, it's sports. But uh, in sports, you know, you'll have, you know, you know, tennis, football, you know, rugby. There's like, you know, lots of different types of, of sports. Um, and esports is basically just a catch all kind of umbrella term for video games that are played competitively. And I suppose there's some degree of play with the term in the sense of, you know, what kind of classifies an esport. But I think for simplicity's sake, uh, a game that has, you know, leagues, people play it competitively and, and they're looking to play 
professionally so they can maybe earn money through playing that video game is sort of what's considered loosely an esport. Mm -hmm. And you said you've been doing this for over 20 years and, you know, I can see you, you're a, you're a young man. So <laughs> talk me through a little bit of this story that led you from, I assume, just playing games as a hobby as a kid to doing what you're next to doing what you're doing now, but like walk us through that. Yeah, so uh, I was always, always a very competitive person. So I uh, naturally gravitated towards sports from a very young age or anything competitive, really. I felt a great affinity for it. Uh, but due to, I think, a uh, so just not the best upbringing, lots of kind of strife within the family and so on and so forth, divorce and moving around, I was kind of very displaced. And the only thing I really had to kind of work with uh, beside my love for video games was an internet connection. Um, I would try to play sports, you know, in these various places I would find myself, you know, moving around. But but it was kind of very disconnected because, again, when you go from place to place, you can't really stay with a team. You can't even necessarily stay with a sport. And the things I wanted to do sports-wise weren't really available. So had a computer, had an internet connection, and, you know, did also love video games and found that you could actually play competitively in certain video games. And the, the first one that I that I played was a really old, game called Quake 3, and that was the game I eventually ended up becoming a professional at, and one of the best players in, in, in Europe, in the UK, uh, and, and Europe, and then, you know, I eventually, in 2005, managed to get onto, uh, contracted to a, a team, but back then, you know, you weren't really, most players weren't really salaried by the professional teams, uh, you'd get sent to events, but sometimes maybe, the, you know, your team would be responsible for paying your hotel and everything for you to compete, and, and you know, maybe, you know, you would actually have to pay that cost, so... You know, you'd have to pay to compete, essentially, which was uh, for something that you know didn't make you any money was pretty challenging back then. So, uh, but that's that's kind of you know how things started for me. And uh, the other thing that was a limitation too is that these tournaments, the competitive scene was very heavily driven by sponsor money um, and from end endemic brands. So, let's say brands like you know uh, Intel, for example. You know they make processors, so makes sense for them to sponsor a tournament for a video game that gets to kind of act as a marketing tool for their for their uh, products. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that doesn't really create a sustainable, uh, you know, market essentially, because, you know, the, the game after a couple of years looks kind of old and dated. And there's a new game that has fancy graphics. So we were those of us that were really interested in playing competitively um, in the early to mid to even to late 2000s were very we had to have the flexibility to be able to switch games because, you know, we don't know where the money is going. And if we want to continue to take it seriously, then we would like to follow the money to some extent. Um, so that created kind of an unstable environment. There were a couple uh, games that uh, that managed to be stable um, and have continued their legacy to this day. I think Counter-Strike is the biggest example of that. That's has been around for 20 years and it's not really been changed all that much. I remember and, people playing that when I was in boarding school like 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> have you crazy. played yourself? I've never actually played Counter-Strike. No, I've never played Counter-Strike. I remember as a teenager, uh, there were some kids in, I went to boarding school and there were some, mm -hmm. some boys in my school, particularly the Korean kids who were really into Counter-Strike. I remember walking into, they used to play in the library, like the house library. So sometimes you'd go in there and there's just kind of cables running around the place and they're on their laptop and they're all eating their noodles and just like cussing at each other in Korean. And you sort of walk into this thing and sort of like, whoa, what is going on here? Um, but I used to, I did used to play a lot of video games when I, I was a kid. I never played Counter-Strike, but um, you know, first console I remember was 
the Atari 2600. <laughs> I'm dating <laughs> nice. myself here. Followed by the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. Then we had the SNES. Um, stuck with Nintendo for a while. N64. GameCube. And then uh, I've had an... Going through all the consoles I've had. I've had an Xbox 360 an Xbox One, and a Nintendo Switch, and then some of the portables as well, lots of the different Game Boy iterations. I remember getting the old school. I remember when we had the old school original Game Boy way back in the day. So I'm someone who I would describe as being interested in video games, and I actually know more about them than people would expect me to. But I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not a gamer. Most weeks, I don't play video games. I probably play video games like a, a few times a month. I'll get into something and then... If I'm traveling, I've got, I'll have, I've got my Nintendo Switch with me, so sometimes I'll play that instead of watching a movie. But I'm very far from the world of uh, you know full-blown competitive gaming, so I'm quite intrigued by it because it's one of those things that I get to some level. I probably get more than most people get, but I'm not like all the way there. I'm still kind of like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm intrigued to talk to someone who's like very much embedded in that world and has been doing this for a while. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so funny because, um, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit about Twitch at some point, but when Twitch came along, for those of you that don't know, know what it is, you know, but for those that don't, it's a stream live streaming platform that was centralized around gaming culture. So you're watching people play video games basically and anyone can kind of make their own little tv channel where they're streaming their video uh, or their rather their gameplay and you can just watch that and just hang out with them and it's funny because a lot of people are like oh i don't understand this concept why would you watch somebody else play a video game and i'm like but you watch you know you watch people play sports it's the same thing it's just entertainment mm -hmm. watching someone who's skilled at something or entertaining do a thing and mm -hmm. i think um especially with with uh, video games i think one interesting distinction um, that I think uh, you'll find quite interesting and something that's been interesting for me too. I've listened to a lot of different podcasts and I know that I've, I've heard a lot, a lot of people who would maybe make the case that video games are a waste of time um, in the sense that it's used for leisure singularly and that you're not necessarily getting too much else out of it. Mm -hmm. And although that is true it, or can be true, you can also... You can also, if you're playing something competitively, it can be a path for you to really hold the mirror to yourself like any other competitive discipline to see all of your weaknesses and you're, that you're then driven through the, the path of needing to succeed to then come into, you know, encounter these, these obstacles of yourself, your own limitations and learn and grow through them, which uh, I think through the fire of competition, I think is, is pretty transformative for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and, and you can really, uh, I think, like, like I did when I was young, achieve a lot of um, uh, what's the term? Self-esteem. You know, you can you can earn something. You're, it's it's like any other like competitive discipline. It is a meritocracy. There is no guesswork. If you if you won, it's because you were probably better, or hopefully it wasn't because you were cheating or something. But you know, it's because you were better, and you you earn those skills with your hard work and, and discipline. You, you you get out what you put in, and I think that's that's really important. So. Uh, video games can be a lot of different things. So, and I know that you're very, you know, like I'm, I'm wearing this shirt. It says Progressive Overload. Um, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, this is, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. So, it's, um, so the, the fable of the guy who carries the, the cow as it's growing every day and is, yes, it, um, it gets stronger. I can't remember what's his Milo, name. Cro Milo. Yes. Of Croton. That's yeah. 
I actually made, I'll be honest, I actually made sure to look that up in case, in case the shirt became a topic, <laughs> but, uh, just so I to remember it as well. But, yeah. but yeah, so I think, I think that journey and, and, you know, mastery has been something for me that's, that's always been extremely important, um, as a guiding principle. And I found that through, through a lot of different types of video games. Like I said, I had to bounce around between various different types and that's kind of, uh, that created a lot of very interesting learning opportunities for me as I understood how to get really good at something and then having the question, well, there's this other new thing, this other new video game, so maybe even a different genre. How do, can I apply the same principles that I learned to get really good at this thing, to get to the elite level, elite level at this other thing? And then, then I found out that there's a lot of very similar principles and that was a pretty fulfilling journey for me. Do you believe that children have the right to breathe mask-free or to go outside without the latest booster shots? What about the quote unquote right to change their gender? Where do rights come from anyway? And why would you trust doctors to give you yours? Join the discussion this month at Unofficial Pediatrics, the Substack blog run by mainstream media's least favorite pediatrician, Dr. Adrian Gaty. Dr. Gaty was one of the first doctors in the USA to speak out against lockdowns, and he continues the fight for childhood innocence and well-being. If you are looking for a doctor who fears God more than he fears Fauci, then look to the second best four-letter word you'll hear today. It's not Z-U-B-Y, it's G-A-T-Y. Check out his blog, Unofficial Pediatrics, at gaty.substack.com. That's G-A-T-Y substack.com. Subscribe today for free and join the battle as he challenges big pharma, big education, and a few more Goliaths along the way. One more time, that's gaty.substack.com. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. What was the first video game that you really got into? So you said that you Quake 3 was the one that you first started playing competitively, but I'm assuming slash hoping as a kid you were not playing Quake 3. So what was the, uh, <laughs> what was the first, what were some of the original games that just got you into gaming as a whole, even not competitively? Oh, that's interesting. I was always around computers from a young age. There's a lot of casual games. So when I was very, very young, I would watch my brother play just like point and click adventure games like Monkey Island, like all of the, the mm, LucasArts adventure mm. games, if you're familiar with those, you know, yeah. Yes, dude. I miss them, Matt. Dude, that, those games were amazing. Those games were so good. I, I think it's such a shame that that genre has dwindled, if not died. Um, I know mm. it hasn't died completely, but man, those point and click adventure games were the wave. I loved those as a kid. There was actually a new Monkey Island that was released recently. Um, I haven't played through it. I, I got to some of the opening scenes, and, and I'm worried that it was maybe a, a little effect, too affected by, um, you know, wokeism. So, oh, oh no! <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I just, I just, I'm not sure because I've only played very, like, you know, the, the first 30 okay. minutes. But I'm a little bit worried that it might, you know, be, either way, it's probably still really mm. funny, and I'll probably really enjoy it. Um, but, okay. but there are some good, good point and clicks, but they did disappear for a long time. You're right. There, there has been somewhat of a resurgence for some of the more retro uh, type games like that. And, uh, you know, the, one of the original creators, like the two kind of, uh, geniuses, I guess, behind Monkey Island and the humor of a lot of the LucasArts adventure games was, uh, Ron Gilbert, who created the, the new one and, uh, Tim Schafer, who then proceeded to, I think he's still working, uh, at Double Fine and they've done a lot of really great games too. But, um, but yeah, so, so some of those games at Civilization, was a great game. I, I learned the word Babylon when I was three years old, but watching my brother play Civilization. <laughs> so that was, that was very educational. Um, and what else? I mean, there's just lots of just random games on, on the Commodore. This is like, you know, a very long time ago. I was like three, mm -hmm. three, three to eight years old. 
Um, and I, but I really, really love the the point and click adventure games. Those are fantastic. Warcraft, uh, the original Warcraft, uh, the original Starcraft. The, you know these games in the in the nineties. And I did play Quake Three when it came out. And that was the that was the first major. I actually am so hooked to this. Like, wait, you're telling yeah. me I can, I can play this other guy, and I can beat him, and now I'm better than him, and then he has to try and beat me. I just love this. You know, I just it's a very basic concept, but I was just completely addicted to figuring out. Okay, my brain was just start suddenly working. How can I? What are all the little tactics and strategies and the approaches I can learn? How can I improve my mechanics in the game? And then, then that was just kind of that was the end of it. Really, at that point, I was like, I knew that that was uh, what I wanted to spend my time doing. Um, Seems That's interesting, sad, man. but it's worked out for me. <laughs> yeah, dude. Props to you, man. I mean, look, I'll be real. My my position on, on something like this is sort of like, look, if it's your... And this is not unique to video games. I think, look, if it's, if it's your career and you're making a living from it and you're enjoying it or whatever, then it, it goes from being something that is uh, potential... You know, hobbies are fine, right? Like, hobbies are all fine within moderation. I'd say there's a level of sort of time and energy spent on something where if you're going that deep and you're not getting a reward from it, then that's when I consider it a waste of time. Do you see what I mean? So if there's someone there who's not a competitive gamer and not a streamer by profession or not a commentator or whatever, and they're just sinking six, eight, ten hours a day into some video game that they're not building an audience from, they're not making any money from, they're not progress. Then I'm like, okay, that's a complete waste of time. By the way, I would say the same thing with obsessing over normal sports. I'd say the same thing about uh, obsessing over politics. Like if you're not a political commentator, you're not a politician, you're not like, if you're spending eight hours a day ranting and raving about what's going on with the whether it's the Democrats and the Republicans or it's Tory and it's labor or whatever, I'm like, bro, you're wasting like what's what's the point? You're just wasting your time and energy, which you could be spending actually progressing life in your career in some way. But my view on it is different where it's like, OK, like if that's what that's what you do. So, of course, you're going to spend time on it and you're going to want to keep upskilling and getting better and being competitive and being creative. It's a it's a it's a different thing. But I think uh, it's a foreign concept to a lot of people because it is new. You know, people are very familiar with the idea of sports or what you guys would call traditional sports. It's been around for thousands of years. People are familiar with it. They get it. I would say, yeah, I mean, watching people doing things, you know, watching people who are great at a certain thing, there's a natural human appeal to that. And within moderation, you know, just being a fan, observing whatever that makes sense. But yeah, I think with everything, there's um, there, there's sort of levels there's there's levels to it, but I think the the esports phenomenon is very interesting because it sounds to it sounds weird. It's just kind of like wait, that's new. Like people, that's a thing, right? Like when I've told people that there's esports stadiums or even the term esports, I remember actually explaining it to my parents a couple of years back, and I, their their minds were just blown because when they think <laughs> of video when they think of video games, right? They just think of like oh yeah, those things. You know, our kids used to you know play those in the nineties and the the thousands and whatever. But that's not something you can earn money from. That's not something you can build a stadium for and people are going to go and watch or you can host a huge online tournament or whatever. Um, but then at the same time, I'll, 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 catch, I'll catch even uh, older people of the older generations on YouTube watching random cooking videos and random <laughs> <laughs> all, all sorts of random videos. And I'm like, OK, well, it's not that 
different. Like people like to watch people do things that they are interested in. That's that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. It's, it's such a human human thing. It's so interesting too, just the breadth of human interest and just how mm. far people go. I think you know Richard Feynman was famous for for I think it was Richard Feynman who said, you know, if, if you if you look deeply enough at anything, it will become just impossibly fascinating. And it's, just, you know, it's that's not verbatim, but something to that extent. And I think it's very true. I think everything in life can be extremely interesting if you go deep enough. And I think that's just so wonderful. And and I think that's what YouTube is all about. It's like finding mm. all those people who have essentially they're, they're just their their life is a PhD thesis of one specific thing that they really love, and it's given them a platform. Yeah. So that's that's really really powerful. Um, I think another yeah. Sorry, oh, no, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the the British politeness battle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, let me let me trump it. I was going to say that um, <laughs> another thing with with my view as well on lots of things like this is you don't need to understand everything, right? Like there's going to be hobbies and interests and things that people collect and things that people do and whatever, which to other people, you know, some people quote unquote get it and other people just don't. And I'm quite comfortable with recognizing, okay, there's some things I get and there's some things I just, you know, I don't, or I, or I get to a degree or whatever. I mean, the idea of sitting on YouTube and watching um, videos of people showing what they bought from the shop or showing like make makeup tutorials or whatever. I'm like, bro, that's like mind numbing to me, but you know what? Yeah. I'm not the audience. I don't need to get it. There's other things that I'm into, right? I don't know. Powerlifting, right? Bodybuilding, uh, whatever. There's things I'm interested in, which other people are like, dude, like, how is that even, how's that even interesting? Um, and so I just accept, okay, you know what? Some people collect expensive watches. Some people collect stamps. Some people are into pens. Some people do train spotting. Some people are bird watchers. Whatever, man. Like, let people. I came across the other day, actually, funnily, I say the other day, no, last year. Funnily enough, I was in Austin. <laughs> I was in Austin, of, of all places. And um, I was walking through, I think it was Zilker Park. And I saw these guys doing, um, what do they call it? Sort of like the LARPing, like the live action role play mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, I think they called it fo foam fighting, to be more specific. So, right, so they had these like weapons made of foam and they're all dressed like medieval knights and whatever. And they have these like, so, and they're just there sort of like battling out there in the field. And I'm like, what on earth is going on? There? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not afraid of strangers. I talk to strangers all the time. So I was just, you know, wet, walked up there. I was like, excuse me, guys, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm genuinely curious. You know, what are you doing? They were explaining the mechanics of it to me and how you score points. And, you know, there's like there's archers and there's this and, the, you know, they can use magic and whatever. And I was like, this is the nerdiest thing I've ever encountered in my life. But you know what? I'm glad you're outside. I'm glad you're in the sun. I'm glad you, you know what I mean? Like, dude, if this is what it takes to build community and especially after the last couple of years where people have been all isolated or whatever, I'm like, God bless you. You know, like, I'm not going to be hyper judgmental of that. I'm like. It's not for me. Like, I'm not going to show up next Saturday. But, yo, if it, if it brings people together and it, it fosters community and it's, it's active and it encourages people to get better or whatever, I'm like, cool. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I don't need to do everything. I don't need to participate in everything. But I think it's, uh, I think it's good. <laughs> it's, it's funny because you, you remind me as, as well. Like, I used to say to my mom, like, hey, it could be worse. I could be doing drugs. 
you know yeah right. uh, I, I thought that was like a really good good you know uh counter argument but obviously it's just a false alternative but but that's fine and that seems, does seem to work for me um but but it's, it's true though like it's it's uh it's interesting it's just just because stuff that we we find stuff weird or we can't understand it to to begin with doesn't necessarily mean that there's there's you know and it doesn't have to be value for us it's not, it's not about us <laughs> so mm-hmm. and i think that's what's really you know interesting um Honestly, there's so many different ways I think we could go with the, com- the conversation, you know, because uh, I think I know that you talk a lot about uh, just, you know, the UK and, and sort of, you know, going to America and you know, the travels and just the differences between the different places and, and how people think differently. And and I think that, you know, if, if I'm if I'm <laughs> the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because one of the big differences I noticed that going between um, uh, the UK and, and America was it, it really forced me to question a lot of assumptions. And the interesting thing there is that there are so many assumptions that we have and operate and, and are almost guiding principles that are kind of unchecked because they're just sort of implanted in us by just, you know, osmosis. You just live in, in the place and you pick up various assumptions. It's just that's just how, you know, any kind of commune of any kind, you know, functions, you know, you all kind mm. of move, move, uh, you know, the same motion in many senses um, socially. And and, you know, there are some really deep underlying principles, uh, you know, things that, for example, uh, were a challenge for me to kind of get to grips with. And one of those things was actually the idea of altruism, uh, right? Because altruism is, I think, fundament- very fundamental in, in uh, European society. And it's, and it's, it's you know, a utilitarian um, idea, you know, which is essentially uh, got a lot to do with, you know, socialist thinking. And, you know, going over to America, you know, you have a much more individualist based way of thinking you know, with a more you know capitalist uh, society where you, you're more concerned with the idea of freedom and individual rights and it's really interesting because the, the the word freedom right in europe is is thrown around as as a meme um almost uh, propaganda against the way that uh, americans may choose to to um look at their own values and i found that very interesting because um Generally speaking, uh, as as I you know spent more time in America, I realized there were more and more kind of assumptions that existed, and I recognized that there was more propaganda than I thought that there was that would color my expectation of what life was like in America um, versus uh, what it was really like if you actually do live in America, um, and and the the reaction to of moving here and living here has been interesting in the sense that there's a lot of there's a lot of people that. I've spoken to me thinking that, oh, you're in Texas, everyone's around shooting guns and, and like, you know, killing each other. And it's like, or even in, in the States, I've, I've seen that, you know, I go to California all the time and I was, I was in an Uber recently and um, I was like, oh, you know, I've moved to Austin. I used to live in LA for a few years. I just moved to Austin, I've been here for a year. It's, it's really awesome. I prefer it. And uh, the guy's like, oh, it seems like, uh, it seems like uh, the taxes are good, but like, it seems way too dangerous, all the guns and stuff. And I'm like, it's very, very, very uh, a perspective with this really lacking nuance there. Um, but it's interesting because it's a perspective that is, I think, bred of just these these assumptions that get kind of pushed into you. So you're mm-hmm. really wary. I feel like we have such a burden on every individual to be really wary of the things that come our way ideas wise and and to what extent we actually question those ideas. It's pretty exhausting, I think, actually. As a global nomad who's constantly on the road, I often find myself connecting to the Internet in insecure locations like airports and hotels. Sometimes I want to access movies, streams, and other content that's only available in certain geographic locations. And at all times, I want to be able to browse the internet with peace of mind without anybody snooping on me. 
That's why whether I'm at home or on the road, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers, so your internet service provider can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. It runs seamlessly in the background and is so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, including phones, computers, and even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN ranked number one by Business Insider. Visit my exclusive link at expressvpn.com forward slash Zuby, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Zuby, expressvpn.com forward slash Zuby to check out the offer and get an additional three months for free. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Um, and I think the reason why it's interesting you use the word exhausting, and that's exactly what it is. And I think that's why most people in most things don't look that much below the surface because the world is extremely complicated. And so we are always, there's a tendency to always simplify it, right? We're always simplifying. I mean, even the way your eyes and your ears work, we are sitting here having this conversation when I look at the screen, if I'm looking at you, I'm looking at your face on my screen, everything else is out of focus now, right? Like you can only focus in certain ways. You literally can't have the whole room in focus at the same time. You can't be listening in and attuned to everything at the same time. And because the environment is so complex, I think our brains just simplify all the time and use all of these heuristics and pattern recognition and things like that. And there can be problems with that when that is applied, especially to human beings, right? Because that's always the temptation. And I think this is where a lot of political polarization and sociocultural problems and issues between human beings or between groups happen because you're applying these heuristics and these, this sort of very low resolution worldview, us versus them, you know, black versus white, red versus blue, this versus that, in-group, out-group thinking, when you actually need to be way more nuanced and see things on a more individualistic level. And rather than just having all these assumptions and biases and presumptions, actually experiencing things, right? So you might have a view on even a certain country, a whole country, um, and maybe you've never been there, right? You've never been there. You haven't really met anyone from there or whatever, but you have this like really strong bias, which you sort of run everything through. Um, on the flip side of what you were saying, of course, I'm sure you've met people in the States who think that if you go to London, you're going to get stabbed, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and that they're afraid to go to London. People in London are afraid to go to the USA. Like you just see. And then I think also because obviously we're wired for survival. So it's well known that human beings are much more sensitive to negative things and potential threats than they are to the positive. If you, if you post a video and you get a hundred positive comments and you get one negative one, the one negative one stands out, right? It's the one, it's the one that sticks out and the one that you want to react to and respond to. The media knows this, of course, marketing and PR and advertising agencies know all of this. If it bleeds, it leads. And so I think every day you, you constantly, if you want to be a, a critical thinker and you want to sort of navigate this complex world in a better way, you do have to be willing to expend that brain effort to not just kind of go with the emotions and the presumptions all the time and be like, okay, wait, okay, I do have my biases. I do have the things that I believe, which 
aren't necessarily based on that much information. Let me put that in check and have some humility and actually sit there. It's one reason I love doing a podcast, right? Because I'm like, okay, even with esports, I have my own uh, views on certain things. Like, I'm not just there like, oh, it's, it's stupid. It's a waste of time. These don't get like, that's not my position. But, and I do want to talk about this, but I do have certain concerns with mm-hmm. some aspects of it, especially as it pertains to people's social well-being, as it pertains to men in general, in particular, just because it's such a male-dominated arena, um, as it pertains to physical health and mental well-being and stuff like that. Uh, so actually, let, let's go into that. So as someone who is very much in this world and who I can tell is, you know, you, you think about a lot of this stuff more than average, um, what do you think are some of the potential concerns or issues or problems that can come with the video gaming, I guess, video gaming as a whole and perhaps esports in particular? What are, what are some of the things that, that you see? It's a, it's a really interesting question. I think um, there is nothing in life without trade-offs. I think every, there's always yes. a cost to anything. And I think, uh, you know, I've, I've personally experienced some of, some of those costs myself, you know, initially, um, you know, for me, I put so much time into the, into, into the video game world that whilst I got the, the, the benefit of this self-esteem from earning these kind of skills, I then had, as, as you mentioned, the trade-off in, in uh, initially physical fitness and also social skills. Uh, for me in my story, I, I one day woke up and I was, I think I was like 16 and I was like, I was about to swear there. Um, <laughs> I am fat. What the, what the hell happened? I just woke up. I just have this awareness. Suddenly I'm, I'm just, I look horrendous. Um, so I, I took it upon myself to kind of fix that. And I managed to do, do that really promptly, but there's many that don't. And that is, that is, that is a natural uh, side effect. You know, you just feel way less active uh, than otherwise you would be. So uh, physical fitness is an issue and that is increasingly an issue. And you, yeah, you're doing, you're doing, a, uh, uh, you're doing an activity, which is maybe it shouldn't even be called an activity because you are so um, inactive essentially. Um, and I don't know necessarily what the solution is per se for that. I, I'm a big believer in, in the sense that, um, or at least from what I've observed generally, with human behavior, it tends to go from one extreme to the other before kind of you know averaging out in the middle somewhere. And I think that with esports and 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 video gaming and, and and how it's grown, how ubiquitous it has become in the last decade, especially, I think that I think it's becoming more normalized. And I think that it's becoming a part of. It's less it's less the case that you know sure you will always have the you know the 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 twenty percent maybe that are so into it that they're really not doing anything else and and perhaps they are you know getting really uh, into, into a very poor physical shape and will have poor health outcomes uh because of that but i think that most people that the, the demographics widen to such an extent that most gamers i see these days aren't sort of the uh any kind of stereotype it's i think you know i use the word ubiquitous because in the culture it's become really accepted and there's lots of different reasons for this and it means that generally from what i i see now like lots of professional players that come up i I see them as you know amazing young talents in their in their teen years and and they're very different to the ones like 10 years ago because now it's it's more normal to to play video games but also to socialize you're not as siloed into this kind of group of Oh, you know, I'm I'm a nerd. I'm I'm kind of associating with that that kind of stereotype, and I'm not cool, and uh, and all of that. 
and and so instead it's it's the case that actually no there's girls that i know that that also play video games there's you know i'm socializing people on discord and at school and there's like other normal things that i'm kind of still a part of so you don't get pushed away um or isolated away i think as you as as you may um have found people would um if they were really into video games in the past so that's kind of changing so that's kind of what i mean as as we go from extreme to extreme um and now we're kind of getting into a middle ground but but again, it, it is it is not a very active thing to do, and and the, the social aspects um, are, I think, the thing that concerns me the most, actually, because I think that um, it's extremely important, obviously, to human beings and connection with human beings is absolutely essential. The physical fitness is something that you can always address uh, at some point, but I think, especially in the teen years, uh, losing some of those social opportunities, whether it be through school, because you don't spend as much time doing extracurriculars or because you're just more, again, kind of siloed into 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 um, an environment where you're just sitting at your PC and, and socializing just strictly through the PC. And that's your preferred method of socialization. Um, that's fine and everything. But again, it's you're losing these very key skills and you do get behind. And that is a very real thing. And that can create, I think, a lot of is uh, a ripple effect there, I think, for your future relationships and your future development. And so I do wonder if if it if it's the case that people get kind of stuck in in you know earlier developmental phases and get kind of stuck there a little bit because of this and i've noticed too that a lot of uh, influencers and big streamers um these these are people that become really popular but they are serving a very immature audience and so i've noticed that they themselves also get stuck developmentally and be, and yes. are kind of still immature themselves as well so there is definitely something to this i feel like you're asking this question um at an interesting time because we're in the middle of it really i don't really know what the what it's going to look like when we get a few years down the line and, and you know maybe later on from that um, i know that my generation um of of players it's kind of a, a little bit all over the place you know uh, people in my age kind of got aged out um quite early on so if you didn't get into Can the I, industry how, how how old how old are you 34 34 okay yeah um the same generation awesome how old are you yeah i'm 36 basics okay cool yeah. um right yes yeah. so so people around my age you were either aged out and became you know you, you were forced to become more normal i suppose at the time it's kind of how you probably look at it you know go to school and so on and so forth or you kind of got into the industry and you've you've been sort of a pioneer of the industry in some respects which is kind of more the position i'm in um and we've all had to kind of like figure things out over time but I, but i can see i can see that the the people that are coming up now are a bit more, <laughs> a little bit less affected, I think, than than people like myself. I, I've noticed that a lot of people like myself, um, a lot of them had you know, reasons why they were spending a lot of time alone, you know, mm -hmm. whether it was uh, not having the best family background or whatever it was. But just going back to that old example, you know, when you're siloed into a group um, that is by nature more isolated, um, you, you generally don't integrate as well um with uh, socially and i think that had, does have a huge impact on happiness um overall and it's hard to solve that like when you miss some of these developmental phases i feel it's it's very difficult to go back especially if yes. you missed the school years and you were going to school and now maybe you're at university i went to university and i was com a complete idiot when it came to this being so, like socialized i had lots of issues I, I couldn't look girls in the eyes when i was in my teens i i, I again much like one day waking up and seeing that i'm just in horrendous shape and i can't you know, see certain parts of my anatomy when I look down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was also unable to like look at look at like just have a conversation with with a girl, and I would get I would like sweat profusely, and I was like, oh my god, this is a problem. I want to be able to 
socialize with women. What do I do? And so I was like, okay, well, I got really good at Quake. So how can I apply <laughs> this, this <laughs> approach to getting good with women? And so, so I ended up, um, um, it's funny because I ended up actually going, okay, I need, just need to like practice socializing. So I'd go out and I would, I would just, just cold open, you know, groups of people mm. and then, then women and so on. And then just, just try to talk to people because I recognized that's obviously like one area where I was lacking and that did help massively. Um, however, I was still definitely a weirdo. So uh, I had to contend with that. Um, and when university, um, I ended up dropping out. And I think a lot of it was because of the fact that I was, I struggled so desperately to like connect socially with, with, uh, with people. And I couldn't find any group or individuals I could really resonate with. So ended up dropping out after a year and a half. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of trade-offs, I think. And it's something that I don't think we fully understand just yet. There's a lot about video games that we don't understand just yet uh, in general, how it impacts uh, people. And I think it's, again, it's, I think it's the same thing, like talking about the extremes. I think I'm actually concerned with uh, the way that marijuana legislation will go in, in the US because of the same reason. I feel like there's mm -hmm. lots of pros, but I feel like no one's looking at the, the clearly documented cons in the scientific literature, that, which are pretty clear. Um, and I feel like people, I, I feel like people will just ignore that. That, that, that information will be suppressed maybe for reasons economically, but also because it's, that's just how things tend to work. Uh, we go through, mm -hmm. through extremes. Yeah. It's interesting. Did, did you say that you're finding that the younger generation of gamers is more sociable than our generation? Yeah, I'm noticing that, but okay. it's, but it's a little bit, it's because also the demographics are so widened now. It's just so much more okay. normalized. So that's that's partly the reason. Um, it's not just the people that are inherently inclined to more isolated activities. It's mm -hmm. also people that are maybe very extroverted that that wouldn't otherwise have done it ten years ago. But now everyone's doing it. It's really fun, um, and they can get it, jump in a Discord group. And I think the pandemic probably magnified this quite a lot. Yeah. The pandemic was pretty good for gaming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it's actually really positive for me to hear that because I would have suspected the opposite because mm. I'm very aware that something unique about our age demographic is we are the last generation, right? If you're in your, I'd say late twenties to, you know, late twenties and up, we're those, we're the last people who remember the world pre internet, pre smart, you know, when we were, in our teenage years, everyone didn't have smartphones and social media wasn't what it was. We remember dial up internet, remember the early days of the internet, all that. So we've had both. We've had an experience both. But sometimes I wonder if I'm talking to someone who's 20 years old, I'm like, man, you, you never existed in a world where all of this stuff didn't exist. You've had, as far as you remember, there's always been Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and this and that and smartphones, everyone walking around with a computer in there in their pockets. And I have concerns for, you know, people, let's say 25 and younger on that front, because I'm just like, man, you've from that social perspective, as you said, because when it comes to technology and this, this goes with everything, this isn't strictly limited to video games at all. I especially think this with smartphones and social media, I think that they're a great addition, but my concern happens when they become a replacement. Right. So if you have your real world friends and your real world social skills and your ability to look people in the eye and to communicate and to talk and to exist in the real world and be fully socialized. And then also you're on social media or you're gaming or you're whatever. 
and that's just like additional, awesome, right? I have tons of friends that I've met through social media, probably way more than 99% of people. Um, but I can also socialize in the real world and make friends in the real world, talk to strangers, whatever. You know, I've kind of got the full, the full gamut of the social skills there. Um, but what I, what concerns me is when I, and I have talked to people like this where, you know, they've never met their best friend in real life or when people are dating someone who they've never met or all their friends are online or in this video game or they just know them by their avatars or whatever. I'm like, that creeps, that, that worries me. That's when I'm like, <laughs> that's when I'm like, wait, so you, but what about like the real world? Like you, you if you don't know how to socialize in the real world, then that's going to that's going to massively hold you back because you know, digital realm is cool and all, but we are human beings with bodies that exist in a physical 3D space. And I, I do have some concerns of, you know, this sort of dystopian future of people just sort of plugged in Ready Player One style and they've just got their goggles on or whatever <laughs> and everyone's just fat and, you know, they're just being being fed through an IV or something. And I'm like, man, that's I, I don't want that for humanity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and honestly, my my perspective you know my sample size my anecdotal evidence is it's limited it's very limited and it's also you know, it could very well be the case too that the the bar has changed for what seems like acceptable or you know good social skills you know it's much like you know in the pandemic they i i think that i th i believe that then they changed the grade standards like massively i mean i know this happens over time in general mm. that it's easier to pass everything but the bar get the bar gets moved basically um and and i wonder if you know if that could be partially the case too how normalized am i to 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 some of these changes i mean that's the thing with human beings you always have to ask the question of is is you know it's it's like the um uh the frog in boiling water is it the frog in boiling water you yes. know just the, the yeah. temperature is slowly changing and he doesn't realize it's, it's boiling to death and i think that's that is a very good analogy for but the, by the way i've heard that 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 whole analogy is like false and that the frog okay. actually jumps out if you actually do it okay <laughs> but yeah <I'm> like, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> all right well the, <laughs> the point stands at least and but because i think it's a great descriptor of human uh psychology just the adaptation it's so fascinating that we are so incredible at adaptation but it is actually also the thing that is our biggest enemy in many respects it that we adapt to so many things just for example any early childhood trauma that you know you create adaptations that then are amazing because it allows you to survive but then you're like oh, now i have to discard these deeply rooted issues that that i have um because mm -hmm. of that um but but i think ultimately i think it's um there are a lot of pluses to video games much like the marijuana uh, example and i think that we will eventually catch up a little bit and i think there's going to be um you know I, th I think it's it's important that you have the right leaders in culture i think uh, culture is extremely important in, in any scale. Um, and I think that with regards to, you know, let's say uh, previously I mentioned the kinds of leaders of culture we have now, a lot of it is like these influences. And and I think a lot of these influences have been made um, on these on these awful algorithms. You know, obviously, I say awful, it's not like the algorithm's fault. It's obviously... <laughs> Nor is it conscious. I don't know why I'm like anthropomorphizing it exactly. <laughs> but but essentially, the way that we consume content is, I think, a pretty big issue because the people who are the most successful get elevated to to a position of, of being leaders of culture, essentially, because they lead the trends, because they, mm. they, they have the most following. And what I see is pretty low quality, and that's because 
what allows them to get to that point is low quality. Like the algorithms for content creation on various social media platforms and YouTube and so on generally tends to favor uh, volume over quality. And and so, you know, I, I often feel like most content sucks that I see, especially mm. in, in my industry. And it's because like, and, and I get it, it's because it's they, they you know, you can't make really great uh, quality content if you're trying to pump out volume. So yes. everyone is just used to consuming volume. And that's, that's, that's actually something that really concerns me. And it's, it, it kind of ties back a little bit to why I love podcasts so much, because as, as the human civilization has, has, has gotten more and more advanced over time, it's somehow become harder and harder to have a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, fascinating. And, and I think conversation is extremely important. And that's another thing that's that's been really uh, in, to- in terms of the video game industry. That's been a big problem for me is that it's hard to have conversations like it has been in most industries because of uh, you know where, the way things have been going politically and and, the, and how mm. that's been amplified through social media and the fact that I, I had a moment the other day, Zuby, where I was like, because you know freedom of speech is you know often a you know especially with what's happened with Twitter and everything, it's it's a, it's a hot topic. It's, it's weird that it's a hot topic for me, but. But I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to post this amazing video of, of, of Hitchens talking about free speech, where he talks about the moral dilemma of, you know, the guy shouting fire in a crowded, you know, you know theater. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I shouldn't post that because mm. maybe it's controversial. And I'm like, hang on, <laughs> I'm not posting the clip about freedom of speech because I'm worried. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like self-censoring. That's, that's awful. Like, what's mm. happening here? This, this, is, this, is not, this is not good. And in my industry in particular, it's not like I'm in a position to really talk about what I think is good thinking, because that's all I care about. I don't care about what you what you think. I think what everyone thinks is is is. I mean, is is should be they should be able to freely express it, and and it's theirs to freely express. They they mm-hmm. it's their individual right that they have the the freedom to have the you know three thoughts. You know, I don't want to be controlling people's thought. That's 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 an individual right. So I don't come between that. Nobody should. And I think that's what that's the beauty of of the human species is the extreme diversity that we have in in terms of how people think and and, and it's, it goes back to the YouTube thing. If we tie that back in, imagine if if someone was telling you precisely what you're supposed to be interested in or what was interesting. The whole point of why YouTube works, like we established, is because people get to decide what they're really interested in, not somebody else, and they mm-hmm. get to explore it on their terms and they get to find an audience if one exists. And and again, you know, for for, for us to be in a place where for me, I don't feel comfortable talking about just good thinking anymore because asking a question is now not okay. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty awful. Um, so yeah, that's another place we could have taken a conversation. I know we're kind yeah, of absolutely, time. yeah, yeah, because that's interesting because it it does seem that the, I mean, everything's been infected by the woke virus, and it does certainly seem, from what I see as an outsider, that the video game world, uh, both from a competitive and a non-competitive standpoint, just the same with other forms of entertainment, there's this, I don't know if it's rising, but there's this degree of genuine intolerance for people who are asking too many questions or maybe you're following the wrong person on Twitter or this or that. I mean, I'm glad you're coming on this podcast because I, you know, I I have had messages actually from people who are more deep in the video game community who are like, oh, you know, I got some uh, I, I retweeted one of your tweets and, you know, some people got <laughs> mad at me for this or that, you know, I get those, I get those type of DMs. Right. So I'm just like, man, that's kind of, it, it, it's a weird concept to me as well, because I'm very much just like, man, like people have freedom, people have liberty, like 
follow who you want to follow, like what you want to like, talk. You know, we, we, we can have debates about what is what are good ideas and what are what are bad ideas or, you know, if certain lines are crossed. Right. You know, people are it's fair to fair to criticize and challenge things and whatever. But for that to happen, you have to at least all agree that people are entitled to their thoughts and their beliefs. And if you want to change someone's position or you think someone is in the wrong, I don't think the best way to do it is to you know ban them or deplatform them or fire them from their job or get all their sponsors to drop them or do that. I think it's you have a you have a conversation, right? You 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 address things like like adults, not 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 like children, and um, also have this acceptance again. If you want to talk tolerance and diversity and all these buzzwords, people like uh, you know what are these things really supposed to mean, right? Tolerating to- tolerance doesn't mean that you agree with everyone's position on everything. It means you accept that people are going to have different beliefs and views and actions on things and opinions, but we can still we can still get along. We can still be civil. Everyone still has the, the, the same rights and, you know, should be treated the same and be treated fairly and so on. Um, but that seems to be being lost. Although I do have a, an optimistic sense that the uh, pendulum is coming back towards more more moderation and more sanity. I think there have been certain excesses and overreaches that various individuals and companies and organizations have done, which have kind of just, you know, made people be like, whoa, okay, wait, like that's going that that's going way too far. And they're now getting a lot of backlash from that. So I do think, you know, it will it will moderate. There's a lot mm-hmm. of new things going on. There's a lot of new technology, although the way that we're communicating and all, all this stuff, it, it's new. It's new. So I think there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be misses. There's going to be mistakes, both from individuals and from organizations, even from the big platforms themselves. Uh, You know, you talked about Elon taking over Twitter. I think that's a very positive thing. You can see a lot of people being reinstated and the Overton window sort of opening back up a little and not having this creeping sense of, oh, my gosh, like if I say the wrong thing, am I just going to one day my accounts are just gone? so I think uh, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be optimistic about. Yeah, and I, I can, there's one point I want to uh, use around this to, to kind of tie in a little bit to some of the previous talks. You know, I mentioned progressive overload. We talked about like mastery. We talked about uh, competitive dis- disciplines, the meritocracy. So we're like really talking about general concepts that are, as as they relate to human growth. And I think most people resonate with the idea of growth. I think that's very a very human quality is to is to pursue growth in in, in various forms. And generally speaking, growth is, is you know I learned this term from Rhonda Patrick. Um, like the, there's a there's a term in biology called hormesis, which is uh, there's a you know process that happens in the body that you know when your body is stressed by something like eat some broccoli and there's like some little toxins in the broccoli or whatever, it creates some stress on your system and then that creates an adaptation. And generally speaking, this is how our, you know, biology is designed. So basically everything human related is designed this way. You create the stress or, you know, there's resistance that then forces an ad- adaptation of some kind, which makes you stronger, which is, which is growth. So you're, you're kind of, your system is designed almost to be broken, to become stronger and to grow. Mm-hmm. And with regards to conversation, with regards to ideas, it's exactly the same thing. When you, when you come across uh, opposing ideas or even um, ideas that are unfamiliar to you, you're experiencing their like resistance that you can, that, that's a challenge. That's, that's like, you know, me playing, you know, a, a competitive game against somebody. 
they are again like i said earlier like there's you know one way of saying it is that they are the mirror you know they're, they're showing you your weaknesses or the things you don't understand or the things yet to be conquered uh, to to then get over that hurdle which is maybe what they represent in that competitive hierarchy or another way to put it as well which is a bit more poetic which which is which is one thing i really like about com competition is that it is is poetic it is the fact that the your, your greatest nemesis um, perhaps the person that drives you to the most um just you know that has a, the biggest rivalry with you that you can't be or whatever it might be is really your greatest friend it's the person that mm. is there showing you the path to your improvement and it's so interesting the the duality there that although you know you have all this ferocity against this person there is actually a very compassionate relationship between you and them that even though you're in competition and i think fight sports are really cool when you see this there is a level of respect that these competitors can only know between each other because they're the only ones that understand what it took to get to that point in which they are at the kind of trials and tribulations that they overcame to get to that point and i think that is one of the most awesome human stories that everybody has accessible to them is is facing adversity and using it for growth amen i love that daniel man we could uh we could go for a long time but i have to be uh <laughs> cautious of the time but where can people find and follow you online uh yeah so on twitter um my handle is ddk esports and um i also I, I make some youtube videos i'm on twitch youtube is uh 4k ddk and um twitch is is uh DD, ddk tv so if, if you want to follow me on any of those platforms i tend to make a lot of content and equally um if you want to follow what i'm doing with my uh with the team that i'm running um uh, 100 Thieves, 100 Thieves is the, is the team that uh, I'm working with. For those of you who don't know anything about esports, uh, Drake is one of the owners. Um, and, uh, and yeah, if you follow them and you follow the Valorant program, you'll be able to see essentially what my team is doing. We're one of the best teams in, in uh, the Americas region right now, in this hemisphere. So, so, so it's pretty exciting. We have a big tournament coming up in Sao Paulo in Brazil like in, in mid-February. So mm. if you want to start watching Valorant, you can follow 100 Thieves and I'll run... In, uh, in Brazil. Awesome, man. Well, good luck with the competition. And thank you for sharing some real valuable insights because I know what with this podcast, I've got a really broad audience demographic, literally from teenagers to people in their 60s and 70s. And so I think you've done a fantastic job of explaining some of the, I think dispelling some of the mis, you know, mis misperceptions people may have about this entire world while also acknowledging and explaining some of the concerns that you personally have and that exist wider. I think it's actually, you know, this technology is not going anywhere. People are into this. Millions of people are into this. And so I think it's important to have these conversations and understand how we can keep people mentally healthy, physically healthy, socially healthy all through this while still, of course, having maximum liberty and having people, you know, being able to enjoy the various things that they want to do. Awesome. Thanks so much. I appreciate you, Daniel. Thank you. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.